Let's do it. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 20 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on February 23rd, 2020. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost, and on this episode of XEP, we'll examine what Sony's withdrawal from GDC Impacts means for Microsoft, we'll take a look at some ID at Xbox titles coming up this year, and we'll examine the biggest factors in picking up the Xbox Series X. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming news is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, where we discuss all the goings-on of the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. It has been a quiet week in the news, which has been a fantastic time to catch up on a number of different speculative topics, as well as some games that I've been thoroughly immersing myself in. I know I talked about last week about Darksiders Genesis, and goodness gracious have I immersed myself in that. I've been going through and getting unlockables, checking out maps, finding a depth to the game that I did didn't quite understand when I first dove in and really having a blast. This is without a doubt one of my favorite times of the year. I know we all look forward to the zeitgeist of the next big game but one of the problems that comes with that is that you're rushing to play the next big game and get to the point and avoid the spoilers and uh, be able to talk about this thing or that thing and sometimes that rush can bring a pressure that that takes away my enjoyment of the game and, I, and in fact it made me avoid a few games in 2019 like Red Dead Redemption 2. I just I couldn't keep up, I didn't want to dive in and play that game and try and get through 100 hours worth of content to talk about it on a show, this, that, or the other, so I just avoided it. Uh, and in the past weeks, I have been playing a lot of Darksiders Genesis, I have been catching up on some ID at Xbox titles, checking out games like HyperDot, and having a good old time with it. It's a, it's a great time of year to really see what Game Pass has to offer and see what some of those cheaper or budget titles might bring you. I know I am super stoked that in this next week we're getting Yakuza 0. Coming to Game Pass, man, am I excited to see that hitting the Xbox ecosystem for fans to check that out. I've had my eye on that one for years. The Yakuza franchise, certainly one that's well-respected, and I'm starved for that kind of game right now and ready to dive in. It looks like, and I don't know if it plays like it, but it looks like Sleeping Dogs, which is one of the best games to come out in the last generation and then the remaster of this generation. Very cheap, often on sale, well worth your time. I'm excited for Yakuza. That one's coming up. I know a lot of people have been checking out Kingdom Hearts. That was in the conversation. A lot of people debating the pricing structure for the Kingdom Hearts franchise as it arrives onto Xbox. Not just 3, but we're talking about the, the, pro, the games prior to 3. In that they are more expensive on Xbox than they are on PlayStation right now. But I would remind you that gaming is a business, and they have been available on PlayStation for a while. And if the companies involved are trying to capitalize on bringing that new market in, they're going to want to capitalize on the dollars for the early adopters. That's not something new to that gaming, to business by any means, and it makes sense. There are options for those games cheaper on other platforms. I have no doubt that we will see them quickly discounted on the Xbox platform, but they are trying to take advantage of people who are interested in checking out those games early, who have wanted it on Xbox, who have been waiting, because those are the people that are going to spend the money, simply put 
a smart business move. I totally understand why it is that way. It's no different than the Switch tax that exists when you buy a game on Switch for full price, $60, and you can get that game for, what, four or five bucks over on PlayStation or Xbox? We saw that with the Saints Row franchise, The Witcher 3, of course, uh, having that conversation recently. It's just par for the course. You know, If you want it on your platform of choice and it's new to that platform, you're likely going to pay a premium for it. I would expect it to discount at some point uh, fairly soon. And this is not, again, exclusive to the Kingdom Hearts franchise. It's just something that we see happen to all of our systems and games as they release in those various platforms. If you're willing to pay the money, you vote with your wallet. And if you're not, you vote with your wallet by not spending your dollars there. Nothing wrong with that. That's just par for the course. No reason to stress it. No reason to worry about it. Now, in a lighter news week, we allow for more casual topics to enter the show, and one of which caught my eye was Ed Boon, the creator of Mortal Kombat and the director of that franchise for decades, putting out a Twitter poll in which 50,000-plus users participated in. And the question that he posed his followers was what they were most interested in for Next Generation. What was it on PS5 and Xbox Series X that users were most interested in? And he offered several choices, all of which come up in conversation quite often. The first being affordable price, the second better graphics, followed by exclusive games and backward compatibility. Now, of these four choices, the results were a bit surprising. Even in, in a, a segregated and isolated poll like this, it surprised me to see the results. 13.2% said exclusive games was their number one priority. 13.2% of 50,000 plus users were interested in exclusive games for next gen. That was the smallest percentage of all the votes. Exclusive games are what we talk about most in conversations like this and in shows like this where we examine ecosystems, we talk about Sony's massive lead in terms of console sales, and then we debate you know, user bases and how active the users are in spending dollars. Exclusive games comes up quite often, and yet in this poll of 50,000 plus people, only 13.2% suggested that exclusive games was the most important factor. Following in at that, or just a bit above at 19.2%, was better graphics, and I found this to be startling as well. I think the reason that, that better graphics wasn't really something that people seem to care about is that it is expected in the next gen that you would have better graphics. If you think you're going to be getting the next system, whether it's iterative or a massive jump, your graphics are going to look better. I take that as uh, for granted. From the days of Nintendo to Super Nintendo, I believe the next system will look better. So perhaps that isn't a priority for people. Uh, and we see with the Switch right now, people are, are diving into The Witcher and they're super excited about a graphical upgrade on, on the Switch most recently. That doesn't put it anywhere near on par with the Xbox uh, One, much less the Xbox One S or X at this point. People are still excited for it. And I think it's because graphics seem to be secondary or, or taken for granted in many ecosystems in favor of gameplay, in favor of accessibility, in favor of options and versatility in terms of cloud saves and whatnot, which is uh, an interesting thing nonetheless. Now, quite a bit higher on the list was followed by uh, last-gen backward compatibility, the ability to play PS4 or Xbox One games on your Series X, on your PlayStation 5. 30% of his users suggested that that was a priority for them. And that, to me, also surprises because quite often uh, in the Xbox world, we touted backward compatibility for Xbox and Xbox 360 on the Xbox One to be a big selling point, something that we celebrated as a community and something we thought would bring more people in. And yet it didn't seem to move a lot of Xbox consoles. But quite a few people suggesting that backward compatibility with this generation's games were a priority for them. I wonder for anybody that is considering backward compatibility, how much games as a service or live service games 
matter in this conversation now as a question because if you're a Division II player, if you're a Sea of Thieves player, a Destiny player, you don't want to lose your progress by multiple versions of the game. You don't want to leave your character behind. And so maybe that is a factor now in, in moving forward, having forward compatibility or access to your older titles. That, that Maybe that's a more of a factor than it was initially at the launch of this generation in 2013. I certainly feel it is. I certainly don't want to lose my library. And the library might be more of a factor as opposed to simply like my save stats in Destiny or my save stats in Division or, or something akin to that. It might be that because we are a more digital consumer base than we were seven, eight years ago, that we don't want to lose the money that we've invested. As a Nintendo fan, I've lost countless numbers of libraries in their transitions between systems. My Wii Virtual Console library, gone. All those dollars, not wasted, that's not the right word, but lost to time. I have to, to recover an account that I don't even know how to do, and Nintendo, of course, with their, their frustrations in the digital space, I can't access those games, nor can I with my Wii U library. I had all the Metroid games and absolutely loved them. Those are lost. I can't get them on my Switch right now in any way, shape, or form. Uh, and that forward compatibility is something that Microsoft has talked about uh, any number of times leading into this next generation. For Ed Boon's poll to bring in 30% of his followers, 50,000 plus people taking the survey, 30% of them all saying that backward compatibility is a factor, I'd have to think that those previous points brought up do play a role in that, more so than they ever have before, because we do want transitional titles, because I don't want to lose my digital library. Playing a lot of games right now that I don't want to lose progress in. Franchises. I want all the Arkham progress I have to be on one system. And, and I did that this past generation. I had all my Arkham progress on Xbox 360. And then I, I played PlayStation 4 at the beginning of the generation. So I went back and played all the old ones when they were available. Then I moved to Xbox One. Did that all over again. I don't want to lose anything and have to replay stuff. Or maybe I do. I do love Arkham. Hmm. What was most interesting, though, is that the number one piece of information that Ed Boon's followers suggested was most important was price. 37.5% of that vote suggested that price was the most important factor. And I certainly don't disagree with any of that. I've said for, for months now that when we, since we, before we even heard about the Series X, my three things, my three most important elements to NextGen, whatever system or ecosystem it is, cost, catalog, and choice are are the most important things for me. The cost has to be something that, that I can enter into, whether I choose to have a, a smaller scale version of the system, like a Lockhart where it's more approachable, like an Xbox One S type approach, whether it's the most impressive, the Xbox Series X is the most impressive comparable to the Xbox One X now, the S and X, that model, I need to have a cost that suits my needs. So I don't need to enter in at $600 and that's my only option there. I need to have a catalog. My catalog has to travel with me. That goes to our backward compatibility conversation. And lastly, choice. I need to be able to choose who I play with and where I play with them. I need to have cross-play. I need to have cross-party chat. I need to be able to play with my buddies, whatever system or plastic box they invest in. I don't want to lose my friends. So I want to have choice as to where I play, when I play, and how I play. And I think right now, all early indications for the Xbox ecosystem moving forward suggest that I will have that. It sounds to me like a lot of these conversations about the cost of the systems coming in, because I don't have to buy in at Series X right away, if it is something egregious or outside of my price range, above $500, which to me would be egregious if it were above $500 without a cheaper option, I don't have to upgrade right away. I can keep playing my Xbox One X and play in that, that ecosystem, play with my friends in Halo Infinite regardless. I like that. 
I think that's a good thing. Catalog, choice, where to play, how to play, those are all important factors. So while it wasn't necessarily one of those massive serious serious gamer polls that, that might have you know spanned a couple hundred thousand people for 50,000 plus users to participate in this poll and, and bring those results at the very least it's eyebrow raising and finding what they found to be important it supports some arguments and might take away from others that's okay I like it. It's that time of year where we do get to speculate about what's going to happen. And amidst all the conversations for how much these next systems are going to cost, whether or not coronavirus is damaging parts for this, uh, and the, the cost of parts, where our systems are going to land, I certainly think it's going to be interesting. Moreover, noticing when they talk about those pricing, in the beginning of this generation, Xbox One launched at $500 and PS4 at $400. That's a big gap. That's a lot of dollars to, to be discussed right there. And you have to think that moving into this next gen, Xbox is keenly aware of that and they'll price accordingly. Whether that's two systems at launch, whether it's not, who knows. The, the, the Xbox Series S, if that does exist, could be announced at, at E3, could be announced prior to that in an XO type event or, or an inside Xbox. Who knows? I think they would want to dominate a conversation that they are offering choice to their users. We'll see. Another smaller story that caught my eye in the past week was some reporting by Gamertag Radio's Godfrey by Danny Pena over on Twitter. He examined the newer GameStop stores, some of the pilot stores that are demoing what their new revisions might look like, will look like, potentially be a mainstay or fall flat. He went in, he took film and footage of these stores where you walk in, there are some retail sections of the store where you can buy product, games, merchandise, things of that nature. But in the back half of the stores are a number of kiosks and displays for people to sign up to play a game and sit in a communal setting and play games. So you walk into the store, you say, hey, I'd like to play Minecraft. They set up a kiosk. They load from a central server in the store. They load the game so you only have access to that game. It's the only one on the box at that moment. And you sit there and you log in and play Minecraft. You want to go play Fortnite with your buddies, spend two, three hours at GameStop, play Fortnite with your friends. They log you into your account and there you go. I like the idea of this. I have a lot of questions about it, but there's some great coverage by Danny Pena over there. Do find him on Twitter, at Godfrey, and take a look at these things because they are, they are the realization of the conversation we had about how to save GameStop you know, years ago, months ago, it consistently comes up because no one wants to buy GameStop. Very few people want to go to GameStop. And in recent weeks, we've seen Kotaku, IGN, Polygon all talk about conditions for GameStop employees, the pressure that they are under. And I do have some personal stories there from working in management at GameStop that are, are not positive. I don't have a, a clear and objective opinion on GameStop as a company. I don't have a lot of good memories from working there. It was pretty pretty rough setting. And while that's not the conversation, I do want to look at the revisions that we're seeing here. Could this potentially save something that is or has been this important to the gaming community? The idea that you do have a communal space to go and play your games. If you want to go play Apex together, if you want to have Mortal Kombat tournaments, if you want to go in and play Fortnite with your friends. A lot of questions and logistics do come up in this. First, how are they going to be taking care of and tracking who's playing what? Well, the answer to that is very simply, you need to have an ID to play M-rated games. You sign up for that particular game, you request that particular game, uh, they'll check your ID, they'll certify that you're allowed to play it, and they'll only load that particular game onto the unit on which you are playing. It's done in a, in a central service type basis with quick loading, so you should be good and not have to stress that, but you only have access to whatever the, the GameStop employee allows via their tablet and cloud-based services to do that. Okay, 
There's an interesting factor to that. I wonder how much that communal space will matter when things like Stadia and xCloud become so prolific that you can just do that on your phone, do that on your tablet, and you can just go to a friend's house or go to the mall and just plop your tablet down onto a table in the food court and have a go. I wonder if that's a, something they'll want to do and push that. The other factor of this is uh, what certifications, basis of authority do people have if they're allowing their child who's 13, 12, 10, 9, 7, you know, where's the line for unsupervised and supervised children to go into this space? Do they respect the GameStop employee's authority? Is the, that, that employee uh, certified or qualified to be watching a child in the event of a medical situation, in the event of disrespect or disciplinary problems, which as a teacher, I certainly know can be very taxing. And when there are limits to certain things that they can do, if the kid's cussing up a storm playing Fortnite or loses their temper, has a game of rage moment, where's the line that is drawn by that employee? What authority do they have to manage that store or that group? I can tell you just from in a retail space, you know, what do you do when a customer loses their mind or goes off or, or whatnot? How does a GameStop employee respond to that in a setting that's likely to bring about, at the very least, some unsupervised kids? I can see parents dropping their kid off at the mall GameStop, dropping their kid off uh, in an airport and say, hey, we've got a three-hour layover. You sit here, hang out. I'm going to go grab a coffee or something like that. And in, in an unsupervised setting, what does that mean for the employee of GameStop in that moment? I'm just curious how it works, how they'll plan to to manage those locations, manage some of the legalities that come with that. Are there certifications they'll put their employees through? I have a lot of questions there. The other questions I have are, are indeed, where are they going to put these stores more regularly? We've seen some demo stores out and about. And again, I, I point to Danny Pena's reporting there that, that brought this to my attention. There are quite a few stores out there, I believe in Tulsa, one in New York. There's a few others. What are the ideal locations for this? They're going to have to look at certain communities that won't benefit this, certain communities that will be suited for this. High foot traffic areas, not necessarily strip malls, but maybe if you have a local theater, places around it, parents drop their kids off to play Fortnite or a Mortal Kombat tournament, Street Fighter, what have you, while they go watch a movie. Is that okay? I'm just curious to see what this does. And again, I'm also curious to see how xCloud and Stadia factor in when you don't need a central hub to play, when you can just go to your friend's house and all have access, even if you don't own an Xbox One or an Xbox Series X or a Switch or whatever whatever device, you don't need it because of your tablet and a controller. What do these cloud services do to the GameStop's potential new vision? A lot of questions there. I'm, I'm so curious to to find out what happens to GameStop. I admit that I am not at all objective when it comes to their future. I don't like the pressure they put their employees under. What scares me most is that so many employees will lose their jobs if they can't rebrand, and a lot of the bigwigs up top will, will get bonus checks for saving money or not spending money, who knows. The next story could certainly adjust the mindshare moving into the next gen, but it doesn't necessarily pertain to Xbox specifically, and that is that PlayStation has canceled both its PAX and GDC appearances, citing coronavirus as the reason for their stepping out. GDC, perhaps the bigger one uh, of these two conferences that they're backing out of. Sony had previously said that they were going to be, after leaving E3, they would be showing up at quite a few consumer-based shows in order to show off all their, a lot of their upcoming games, the, most, the biggest of them being The Last of Us 2, probably the last big banger for the PlayStation 4 and kind of hitting out and winning that exclusive war in this generation with the Xbox One. PlayStation is now backing out of these two conferences after leaving E3. That's a big deal. Now, the reporting says that GDC 2020 was set to begin uh, on March 16th and run through March 20th in San Francisco. PlayStation, Facebook, Oculus have, have all backed out of this. They've chosen not to attend, citing those health concerns. And I'll read a quote. 
saying, quote, out of concern for the health and safety of our employees, our dev partners, and the GDC community, Facebook will not be attending this year's Game Developer Conference due to evolving public health risks related to COVID-19, a Facebook person, spokesperson told industry GamesIndustry.biz. We still plan to have exciting and share exciting announcements that we had planned through videos, online Q&As, and more, and we'll plan to host GDC partner meetings remotely in the coming weeks, end quote. Now, that's Facebook talking about it. Uh, and Sony, of course, pulling out of packs. It's, it's, what does this mean? How does this affect the mindshare going forward? If I'm a PlayStation fan, how does this impact me? If it's a, if I'm a pack scorer and I was looking forward to seeing uh, The Last of Us 2, I am, am bummed out, but I'm not distraught. Pax is a smaller indie-based show, typically. You know, I think we might see some Gearbox, Borderlands stuff because that, they, they do it, tend to enjoy Pax. But what does this do for the mindshare of Microsoft? Sony had a chance to really continue to gain goodwill momentum going in but really the conversation is that sony's pulling out of this sony's backing out of that sony is no longer going to be at this conference that conference and the average consumer who doesn't recognize or understand the need for health concerns to be a, a priority or doesn't recognize that the coronavirus is impacting so many people i believe coronavirus at this point has affected more than 75,000 people and death toll is at the time of this recording is over 2,000 worldwide and only climbing speculation for coronavirus impacting manufacturing costs manufacturing of parts certainly seems to be a growing concern the average consumer might not recognize how how heavy the impact of a virus like this is to the gaming verse and they might vilify playstation or at least not recognize that playstation is not trying to do anything demeaning or negative to its community that this could damage sony going forward however i don't feel it necessarily will because of what facebook cited as online q a's we talk about the state of plays we talk about nintendo directs xo 19's digital presence within in inside xbox what they might do for an xo 20 or fan fest or something like that i think digital outreach is more powerful than it's ever been they, they simply have to adapt the messaging, whatever it is. Now, for GDC's part, I certainly understand that, that people from global organizations do not want to bring in people worldwide and risk a hazardous lawsuit, risk the health of their employees. They're looking at it from a business sense of if we put our employees in danger, what risks financially do we expose ourselves to? You would hope that there's a goodwill sentiment amongst that as well, and I would imagine for some people there certainly are. But I am curious as to the timing of these announcements. Sony did announce that they would be showing off stuff at GDC and then several weeks or like a week or so after. Nope, not anymore. Same thing with PAX. Nope, not anymore. The timing seems to be odd. I wonder if the left hand knows what the right hand is doing, if they're clearing announcements, this, that, or the other. Microsoft, for its part, not necessarily losing ground on the mindshare here. I wouldn't argue they're gaining it either. I don't think this is a big win for Microsoft that, that Sony is backing out. This doesn't seem to be the conversation or the way that it's the, the way the conversation is going. Uh, I do think it's an opportunity to continue gaining momentum on a quiet and subtle level, as Microsoft has been doing with these xCloud announcements coming to iOS, with, with a lot of the uh, announcements of coming games coming to Game Pass. We talked about Yakuza earlier. They're building subtle news stories here and there, and they're small, and I have to wonder if they'll impact sales going forward. But really, the truth is, at the end of the day, none of this seems to matter most. What will matter most is that E3 presence for Microsoft and the price of their new systems. And it will all come down to messaging, the way they deliver that information. If the news is bad and the system's 600 bucks and they don't have a Lockhart edition for 400 or less, that scares me. I would love a $300, $500 skew. I just want to point that out. 
but it will all come down to the way they deliver messaging, good or bad. I don't think Sony backing out is really damaging that Sony community that is so powerful and is so strong. The Microsoft community doesn't seem to be trying to capitalize on it, and that is absolutely fine, particularly given the nature of something like a coronavirus and what that means for it. As for questions of what manufacturing might be impacted for this, we had a question from Big Mike uh, over on Twitter, who, by the way, is a community manager for Dual Shockers. Hello, Mike. I hope you're doing well. He said, do you think coronavirus is going to affect NextGen launching this year? The launch of NextGen, that's a specific question and a good one, Mike. I like it. Uh, the truth is, yes, I do think that it is going to impact the launch of these new systems, whatever they are, whenever they are. Uh, though it might not delay it or we, so not, it might not be something we see obviously. It might not be bluntly in our faces. I do think that the amount of manufacturing costs, the priority parts to get certain things done, to not be able to have access to certain things because we know that they're using similar chipsets, that will impact the way that these systems launch on some level. That's my prediction and my speculation at this point based on the information I have. Now, whether or not we feel that or hear much about it, will it adjust the way that companies import systems? Uh, if you remember all the way back in the Xbox 360 days, they would they would ship systems by plane to sell them on time and, and sell them out and fix a lot of the red ring problems as opposed to the standard cheaper by boat method. So I do think that we'll... We as gamers will be impacted on, on a small and subtle level. I doubt these major billion-dollar companies will bump the prices up so egregiously that they're not taking a loss on them. I think in 2013, the PlayStation 4, they made Sony made something like $20 per every system sold, which is not much. And I believe Microsoft sold at a loss because the money and the value is in ecosystems, licensing right to put your games onto your platform, selling stuff digitally, attach rates. Those are the things that tend to matter. Subscription services now, in the more recent weeks, we've even seen Sony acknowledge that active users is important, which is something Microsoft has been saying for months at this at this point particularly when you have lower sales that's that's an understandable thing but yeah cost profits of systems the net loss of getting components those are all factors in selling a new system but i believe that microsoft and sony will likely both be affected by coronavirus manufacturing prices product prices trying to get shipping uh, here and there concerns of, of medical clearances but i don't believe that consumers will necessarily feel that price on the brunt of it early on, I think those billion dollar companies, trillion dollar company in Microsoft's case will eat the cost uh, and allow people to get into that ecosystem. And the nice thing is, the one of the comfortable things about being an Xbox uh, user in this upcoming generation is that early on, if it is hard to get your hands on a Series X, if the Series X is priced egregiously, if something like coronavirus or import taxes in the political landscape do bother the pricing so much you don't need to dive in right away you don't need to be that earliest adopter adopter who quite often they do pay a premium regardless of what it is you'll just need to ask yourself if halo infinite if outriders is the game that you need right away if you have to get your hands on it right away or if you can wait a little bit and allow that cost to come down we'll see it's a good question mike thank you so much Moving right along and enjoying a number of other listener questions, and I do thank you guys for writing in. I had a wonderful response in this past week, and by the way, the show is doing better than it's ever been. It's only continued to get more popular. I'm seeing more downloads, seeing a lot more uh, reviews pop up in, in the iTunes space, which I so appreciate. You have no idea how much those things matter. Thank you to all of you who are sharing the show, letting people know about it, whether it's a retweet, whether it's you know telling your friend, emailing. Thank you for the kind words I continue to get. It is a huge uh, emotional boost for me because I get so much joy out of doing this show, but I always get that worry that people won't like it. And so when you guys reach out, you invite me on your shows, you share it, all that stuff 
That means the world, and I really do appreciate it. I enjoy guesting on other podcasts, and that's just been a blast. So you guys have made this journey in 20 episodes to be a pure joy, and I thank you for it. Let's get to so many more of those listener questions. Thank you, Mike, for the early one just a moment ago. Let's now get to Mr. Moody, who asks, uh, what are, for you, the top five most iconic Xbox games? Now, that's an interesting question because the word iconic can mean a couple different things, but I believe the easiest way to define it for our listeners is that in being iconic, it's a word that you find to be synonymous with Xbox, whatever that is. It is synonymous with the brand of Xbox. And you've got some mainstays here that, that come uh, par for the course here, Mr. Moody. Halo, Gears, Sea of Thieves, and Forza are the four easy answers to this question. Whether it's the most recent generation or past generations, Forza, Halo, and Gears have defined themselves as part of the Xbox ecosystem and brand. I won't argue that Gears isn't tired, that Halo's not due for the refresh, but I tell you this, when you think Xbox, those are brands you think of, thus being iconic. Sea of Thieves, I think, has done a good job at building itself and becoming something that when you think Sea of Thieves, you think Xbox, you think Xbox brand which is, I would say, a testament to the to Microsoft's commitment to that franchise and to Rare's ability to build on what was a, a largely disappointing launch. And I say many times as I look over at my wall with the signed Sea of Thieves poster uh, by the dev team, they've done a fantastic job. Good on them for sticking with it. That anniversary update was special, and it brought so much to the game. And they are, if you're, if you're not sure about Sea of Thieves, I will tell you one of the coolest things to see as someone who enjoys it casually at this point. Every month or two months, I'm seeing new updates to this game that change the meta, that bring people in. It is a live service game in a way that so many competitive genres are not. You know, you look at games like Fortnite and you praise Epic's ability to continue to bring new content in that's relevant to different zeitgeists all around. Star Wars content being in there. Deadpool's in Season 2, which was just announced. Those are all neat. You see Marvel superheroes. Thanos was in there around Infinity War and Endgame. That's fantastic. Sea of Thieves has been able to, in recent years, produce content at, at a startling rate. And you've got to say that you're proud of that. I think Rare has something like five teams working on it. So Gears, Halo, Sea of Thieves, Forza, those are four easy answers. As far as the fifth answer, I struggled with this one a bit, Mr. Moody, because Minecraft is, I think, Microsoft's biggest franchise beyond those, but it exists on other systems. I don't necessarily know that it's uh, iconic in the sense that it's not synonymous with Xbox. Microsoft makes money off that beta version that got sold, makes money off the Nintendo version, the PlayStation version, and they have opened the doors on Minecraft. You can play the, the Xbox version, and the PlayStation version and have access to all the same content. They didn't gate anything away, which is great to see. But I don't necessarily think Minecraft is uh, iconic for Xbox. When I think iconic for Xbox, uh, I, I hesitate to say this because I, I worry that it'll get some backlash, but Crackdown? I mean, I think a lot of people uh, associate Crackdown as being Xbox due to its pretty impressive launch on the 360, uh, regardless of Crackdowns 2 and 3 being disappointed. People hear the word Crackdown and they think Xbox. So maybe maybe that one blinks the cat. I think sometimes people will hear that and just go, oh, Xbox, maybe Jade Empire. Uh, I, I don't I don't I struggle with that fifth one. I think Crackdown has to be my answer there, but I would not argue in any sense of the word that the Crackdown franchise is on par with, with Sea of Thieves, Forza, Gears, and Halo at all. 
Uh, a good question. And if you guys have thoughts, write in on Twitter. Let me know at Insipid Ghost because I'm very curious what you think that fifth franchise would be as far as being iconic and synonymous with Xbox. Great question, Mr. Moody. I appreciate you. Famous Seamus himself, the most famous Seamus that I know, says, if you could make your own weekly or monthly quest for Xbox Game Pass rewards, what would it be? Oh, man. So Famous Seamus is alluding to, if you are unfamiliar, uh, Game Pass does quests every month, every week. They build points to your Microsoft reward points, and you can use those points to redeem any number of things like Xbox gift cards, sweepstakes entries, or just Game Pass and Xbox Live Gold, which is what you should be doing. You take the, you do those quests, log in on your mobile app, log on on your system, play the games, get the achievements uh, in the Game Pass games that you're already getting with your subscription. Play the games for free, and you get more Game Pass for free. It's fantastic. It's a really cool thing. Uh, so I encourage you to do that. As far as what would I do to create my own monthly or weekly, uh, I would design something that rewards hours played in addition to new games. They do a fantastic job in their current iteration, uh, which is over, which is much improved from when it first launched. They do a great job with their current iteration at rewarding games that based on achievements in new games that you're playing on Game Pass, games you have not played on Game Pass, stuff that's been entered in recently. Uh, and that really encourage enga encourages engagement with Game Pass as a service overall, whether it's app-based or on your console and just the games in general. But I would like to see uh, something or a method of rewarding me for time spent in a game I'm already enjoying. Witcher 3 is on Game Pass now. What if I was halfway through Witcher 3 when that happened? What if, it, if it's hours played and they offer some sort of, of equality type message, whether it's the first two achievements in a game that you're rewarded points for or two hours in a game that you're rewarded points for. I would like to see some sort of, uh, you played X amount of time, you get X amount of points. That's how I would design, uh, or at the very least add to some of those Game Pass rewards because it's a fantastic idea and an underutilized option. So if you are a member of the Xbox community, you're listening to this show, you, you, you certainly, or most likely are a Game Pass subscriber on some level, I would encourage you to check out those reward points because there's a lot of free to be had within that subscription. Two fun questions from iDizzy, wonderful community member, who writes in, uh, who is your favorite Power Ranger and why is it the Green Ranger? It is the Green Ranger, Dizzy. Let me tell you that right now. Tommy Oliver, one of the coolest characters, and if you've not read the Boom comics, they have an entire Battle for the Grid, a comic run, where they talk about the Green Ranger and, and he's been corrupted in one dimension and he combines the Green Ranger power with the White Ranger power. It's super cool. It's a pretty solid comic run. I would enjoy that. The Green Ranger's super, super neat, guys. I mean, think about it. We all dug the Dragon Sword and how cool he was with his, you know, you know, with his flute that doesn't sound like a flute, sounds like a trumpet that he plays through a mask, which is, makes no sense. Also, Green Ranger has the gold shield. He's the coolest. Come on, he's dope. Uh, Red Ranger, get out of here. Now back to video games. Playing Nintendo, Donnie from PSVG. PSVG, a wonderful gaming community. He writes in. He says, uh, first time, long time. What indie games are you most looking forward to playing this year before the Xbox Series X releases?" That is a wonderful question, Donnie. One of the difficult things about gaming on any system is visibility. Getting your indie game out there and letting it be seen. Curation of a catalog and letting people see it. So a couple games that I am very excited for, hitting the Xbox, ID at Xbox ecosystem that I want to play prior to Series X. Couple of them. First, Cyber Shadow. If you've not heard of Cyber Shadow, it's made by one guy named Mecha Skull. I believe Yacht Club is publishing it. It's an 8-bit Ninja Gaiden style game. I played it at FanFest. It was an absolute blast. It felt really good for Yacht Club, who is so good at bringing that 
that retro love from the Shovel Knight series to be willing to publish it says something to its quality. I had an absolute blast with it. So Cyber Shadow is one of them. Uh, the next one comes from Phobia Game Studios. It's Carrion. Uh, that is kind of the reverse horror game in which you play a blob of sorts that moves throughout a spaceship uh, and attacks and, and haunts humans and stalks humans throughout. That game looks super fun. I believe Devolver Digital is publishing that one. Super stoked for that one. So we've got Cyber Shadow, Carrion. The next one up on my list is called West of Dead. It's made by Upstream Arcade. We saw it at, I believe, XO19 Showcase. It's a twin-stick shooter, but it's super comic book-inspired and very stylish. Uh, you play in, like a Western hero, but you are a skull that is on fire. Uh, your head is a skull that's on fire. It's really neat-looking. It reminds me of the game called Wet from the 360 era, which will make you chuckle in a couple ways, but it's just all style. It also reminds me of Mad World from the Wii, which is a wonderful Wii game. If you missed that way back when, sure, just go buy a Wii and, and find the game Mad World. Uh, but man, it, it West of Dead, Upstream Arcade, looks really cool. Go check out a trailer of that game, because it is one of the most stylish games that I've seen come out in a while. And when you talk about games that are stylish, that doesn't necessarily translate to good. It can also be tired in a couple of ways. But I really dig the, the look of this game, and my eyes are on it. I believe also it's coming to Game Pass, as is Carrion and as are uh, Cyber Shadow as well. So I'm excited for that. A few other honorable mentions in this question, Donnie, were The Red Lantern, Skatebird, and a game called The Artful Escape. I don't know if those are all my type of game, but they all seem to speak to have a lot of quality. And I believe, now that I'm saying this, all of these were shown off at XO19. Uh, and I believe multiple multiple versions of these exist on multiple consoles. So they're multi-skew. Uh, if you prefer to play on your Switch or your PlayStation, that's awesome. It doesn't matter where you play as long as you're enjoying great games. Uh, but I'm excited for these ID at Xbox titles. These are people that... Uh, and studios that I want to talk to, that I want to share with their their gaming community. It's, it's pretty great, man. Uh, some good stuff there. Thank you all for writing in those questions. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Uh, it was quick, short, and sweet, and I am having a blast playing what I've been playing. I know I talked about Darksiders at the top of the show. I've also been diving into uh, Apex as I've been playing with Mr. Badbit and Mr. Kevin Butler, having a good old time with the older maps there. I faded off Apex a bit, but I do like what they're doing and keeping that community alive. Uh, other than that, guys, I'll tell you what, I'm excited for Doom Eternal. That's, a, I believe, a month away at this point. Doom Eternal, one that all eyes are on. I've been working hard to set up more interviews for XEP. Again, I don't want to be an interview show every week. Uh, I, I would hope that people come and join me for my insight and write in and, and help me build a community there. But I love doing interviews. That is a big part of it. It's just a matter of scheduling and stress, truth be told. So I, I've got people that, that are lined up for things that are mostly after PAX and GDC happen, but I'm excited for them. If you know of people that you would love for me to check out for the show or look into talking to, please let me know. Write in insipidghost at gmail.com or hit me up on Twitter at insipidghost. My DMs are always open and I would love to hear from you. Beyond that, you can find me streaming and financially support me over on mixer.com slash insipidghost. That's it for me. Have a wonderful week, everyone. Take care. Thank you.